It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Twiggy episode of The Muppet Show, featuring our own very special guest star, Glenn Weldon. Welcome back, everyone. We are so excited to be here. I'm David Levy. Here with me today are Christy Bauer, Adam Grossworth, Michal Richardson, and our own very special guest star, Glenn Weldon. Yay! Hey, Glenn, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I listen every week. I love the show. Keep it up. You're doing great. Aww. Glenn Weldon is a film and TV critic who co-hosts NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. He's the author of two egregiously nerdy cultural histories of superheroes, and his new book is NPR's podcast startup guide, Create, Launch, and Grow a Podcast on Any Budget That Does Not Make Us Nervous at All. <laughs> but seriously, we're so glad to have you, Glenn. Tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets. Oh, man. Well, I grew up on Sesame Street, like most right-thinking Americans. Uh, I watched the Muppet Show from the jump when they premiered. I was uh, eight. Uh, and when this episode we're talking about tonight, I was a right, right about to turn nine. So I watched it because I felt it was aimed squarely at me, which it kind of was. But I also felt that it wasn't talking down to me, and that was important to me. I kind of felt this sense of ownership because you, I recognized that, okay, this is the same Muppet, uh, you know, design, Muppet, uh, what would you call it, technology, infrastructure that Sesame Street had. But it wasn't aimed at preschool kids. It was aimed at big kids like me, and my parents would watch it with me. That turned out to be a huge thing because they wouldn't watch any other shows that I felt were my thing. I couldn't get them to watch the Super Friends to save my life, but um, in the end... I've started rewatching it now that it's on HBO Max, and they were right. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. I got all the jokes of the show right, and I was proud of that. Though, again, this rewatch has been very enlightening because I now think I shouldn't have been particularly proud of that because so many of these jokes are hella dumb and just pun-based, <laughs> uh, really low-hanging fruit. Uh, I wanted to be as cool as Ralph. Uh, I knew myself to instead be as cool as Sam, uh, which is not cool at all. I never cared for the for the sweet or the kind of sincere Muppet content. I always went for the, uh, what do you would call it, salty, they're sour, the sharper stuff. But I was an inveterate rule follower, so Muppets like Animal and Crazy Harry, and to a lesser extent, Gonzo, uh, just, they just made me nervous. I, I wasn't here for them. <laughs> but the reason I'm here tonight, though, is because this episode was profoundly traumatic. Uh, I had waking nightmares about Uncle Deadly for years after seeing this episode. Did not like it as a kid. Uh, we'll talk about how I've renegotiated, uh, how, how I've gotten over my beef with Uncle Deadly, but uh, yeah. This I think episode, you've man. probably both grown a little bit in that relationship. Yeah, Uncle Deadly has evolved quite a bit, <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk he, about. He has, right. He's now um, Miss Piggy's uh, fierce assistant. So, you know, gay recognized gay. It's kind of like um, <laughs> when you're high school bully comes out on Facebook or whatever, it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> Not all is forgiven, but most is forgiven. Yeah. Though, you know, watching this episode, per perhaps some things were obvious that we just didn't recognize <laughs> as children. And, and we should plug for you that Pop Culture Happy Hour did a great um, Muppet ranking episode that we will link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. We asked we asked our listeners to rank their favorites, and uh, there's no real surprises. But I mean, I, I, I was surprised that Robin scored as high as he did because, oof, nah, not my not my not my <laughs> tempo. We tried really hard to organize ballot stuffing for Droop, but oh, it sure. did not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You uh, you guys did a good job of um, keeping those Google Forms one entry only. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's, yeah, we tried our best though. Uh, I, I feel for you. Uh, Droop got a surprisingly number high of, of uh, votes, but that's yep. probably just they were all us. <laughs> <That's what laughs> all four. <laughs> Adam, uh, let's take us into this week. Where are we situated? This is uh, season one, episode twenty-one. You guys, we're almost done with this season. I, I, like it snuck up on me somehow, and I, I realized we're we're into the twenties. This was taped November 9th to eleventh, nineteen seventy-six, and aired February seventh, nineteen seventy-seven, in New York. One week after the Vincent Price episode, this mm. will be relevant later. Nothing particularly notable in the news or on the television dial. So let's get into it. <laughs> He sounds so attached that we had to use. Uh, what did she do to him? <laughs> there's some anger in that. There's some real, there's some rage, some controlled yeah. rage. Well, here we are. Twiggy, model, <laughs> actress, singer, dame. Born Leslie Hornby in 1949 in a suburb northwest of London, 
She was one of the most visible models of the swing in 60s. At only 16, she went and had her hair colored and cut short in London by the famous Leonard of Mayfair, who was piloting a new pixie cut. So he had her photographed and put up those pictures in his salon, where they were spotted by a fashion journalist from the Daily Express who dubbed her the face of 1966. And the rest is history. Short, thin, relatively androgynous, Twiggy represented a new kind of model. She achieved her signature look in part by layering three sets of false eyelashes at once. She's been quoted as saying that she herself never liked the way she looked and thought everyone lavishing attention on her was crazy. In 1967, she came to America and an international sensation was born. That year, she graced the covers of Vogue in Paris, Great Britain, and three times in the U.S. She had a lot of Twiggy dresses, which were soon followed by all sorts of Twiggy swag, from lunchboxes to cosmetics. She retired from modeling after only four years, although later in life she would come back to it. Uh, but she made a transition to a career as an actor, which came out of her friendship with filmmaker Ken Russell, when 1971 cast her as the lead in his absolutely unwatchable film adaptation of The Boyfriend, for which she somehow won two Golden Globe Awards for Best New Actress and Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Just trust me on this one. Uh, it was uh, I watched it recently. I regret every minute of it. <laughs> Noted. The same year, she released her first single, Zooty Zoo Zong. Whoa. Which is not on Spotify, but we will put a clip on uh, the show notes. It's It's a thing. In 1974, she made her West End debut in Cinderella, and she hosted her own television show, which was called Twigs, and then later renamed Twiggy. And in 1976, the same year that she filmed this episode of The Muppet Show, she signed with Mercury Records and released two albums with a mix of pop and country songs, which maybe answers a little bit about what the hell was going on in this episode of The Muppet Show. Her first album contains Twiggy's top 20 hit single, Here I Go Again, and the song Please Get My Name Right made it to number 35 in 1977 which was the year that she married actor Michael Whitney. They had one daughter together, Carly, and they remained together until Michael's death in 1983. In 1978, the British music television show Supersonic was repackaged for U.S. audiences as Twiggy's Jukebox, with Twiggy shooting new hosting segments that were packaged with the pre-existing musical segments from Supersonic. In the 80s, she made a splash on Broadway, reteaming with her boyfriend co-star, Tommy Toon, for the Gershwin Jukebox musical My One and Only, for which she was nominated for a Tony, and in which she was eventually superseded by Muppet Show guest star Sandy Duncan. In 1984, she met actor Lee Lawson, whom she would marry in 1988, and they remain together to this day. And here is my favorite bit of Twiggy trivia, which comes from her Wikipedia page. In 1991, she co-starred in her first American Network dramatic television series, the short-lived CBS sitcom Princesses. Of the eight episodes completed, only five aired. However, on that show, she co-starred with Fran Drescher, and later, Fran spent some time with Twiggy and her family in England while she was developing the nanny, and she modeled Maxwell Sheffield on Twiggy's husband, Lee Lawson. Twiggy and Lee would both appear as guest stars on the first season of The Nanny. Twiggy plays Maxwell's sister, and Lee plays her chauffeur that she has a secret love affair with. In the 90s, she recorded London Pride, an album of British show tunes produced by my former boss, Bruce Kimmel. She would eventually play Gertrude Lawrence on stage in a show that came to be known as Nolan Gertie, which was also recorded with Harry Grainer as her Noel Coward. In 2001, she co-hosted the British magazine show This Morning. In 2003, she released another album, Midnight Blue, which included a previously unreleased duet from the 80s with Muppet Show guest star Leo Sayer. In 2005, she joined the cast of the television show America's Next Top Model for cycles five to nine as one of the judges. In 2009, she had a little bit of a scandal when she did a campaign for Olay, debuting as Definity Eye Cream, and people discovered that her ads were airbrushed, and it was a big deal in England until the ads were withdrawn. She was appointed as a Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2019 under her married name, Leslie Lawson, for services to fashion, to the arts, and to charity. Uh, she's still around, and, you know, we have something in common with her. Just like us, Twiggy started a podcast during the pandemic. Uh -huh. Tea with Twiggy is an intimate weekly chat with Twiggy and special guests, including Joanna Lumley, Elaine Page, Robert Lindsay, and more. That is Twiggy in a nutshell. Anyone want to share Twiggy thoughts? Uh, I'll just say, David, that that, I, I, that was incredibly uh, informational and thorough. But the line that stuck out to me was she reteamed with her boyfriend co-star Tommy Toon because I, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't parse it correctly, and all of a sudden everything I knew about the world was was wrong. Um, but I understand what you're saying. It's like from the from the show. What's what's the name of the show? 
boyfriend the the movie was the boyfriend and the The show was my one and only okay yes okay so that i now understand yeah i never thought of her as a singer i always thought of her as just a model not just a model but simply a model i should i suppose and i was surprised um it's a thin voice but it's uh it's serviceable um so yeah i'm i was surprised she could carry a tune and i think her singing voice has gotten better since the muppet show uh (laughs) i mean i think she's probably worked on it and studied with it but uh, she got to the point i don't think she's ever she's no ethel merman but she uh she can belt out a tune you know serviceably cool glenn you've already gotten into this a little bit but uh what did you think of this episode besides it's it giving you nightmares as a child um you know it's still terrifying but in a way that has nothing to do with uncle deadly we're about to talk about the most unsettling disquieting thing uh <laughs> of this episode but so i'll, I'll save it for that but yeah and uh, for once it's not the jug band it's not the jug band um no it, it, i mean it's okay didn't doesn't uh doesn't get sailed out of the park it seems a very representational kind of first season episode to me michael how about you yeah th- uh, this was fine <laughs> There are some episodes of The Muppet Show, including first season episodes, that make me want to stand up and cheer and share it with everybody I know. And this one, I kind of wish I hadn't watched it so many times in preparation for this episode, (laughs) if that tells you anything. And it's not Twiggy's fault. She was doing her best, including in the musical numbers. But yeah, this was fine. David? The funny thing about this episode is the parts that I think I liked the least the first time might end up being my favorite parts. Yes, I'm talking about this scary feather duster mouth monster thing. Uh, otherwise, it just it felt like it was assembled from parts that weren't necessarily meant to go together. And so it's hard to have an overall impression when the parts felt so disjointed. Christy? I think for the first time, I enjoyed this more than you guys did. Uh, I was pretty charmed by this episode. I mean, I, I felt like Twiggy really has a clown spirit. I mean, and that she's like, down to clown, not that she's like stolen the soul of Bozo or anything. <laughs> <laughs> she's not Pennywise. She's, Thank yeah. you for the uh, clarification. And you know, the, there was a, a, like a lightness and a fizziness to it. And for as bizarre as a lot of the choices are in the episode, the parts with Twiggy felt pretty effortless. The the Uncle Deadly bits, not as much. But um, overall, I had a pretty good time. Yeah, I think I'm I'm more with Christy, but. I'm somewhere in the middle. I I, I didn't hate it. It's hard because we, we just had two really great episodes in a row. So it's a little bit hard to go back to the sort of, it's not the season one rut, right? I was not bored. It There's one sketch that's a little repetitive, but it, it's not the formula. And I do love this backstage plot, but I don't love some other stuff. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit of that season one feeling that they're not quite sure what the show is yet. But the backstage plot, I think, is really close to what the show is going to become that we're going to really like. But then like the, the numbers are weird and yeah, so it's in the middle. I enjoyed it, uh, but I'm not like super woo about it except for um, the uncle deadly of it all. Let's talk about a horrifying feather duster. Oof. So being the designated music person on this podcast this week sort of feels like I'm about to ferry you guys over the river sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Just feel like we've punished you a little bit. A little bit. But, uh, you know, I it's, it's my burden to bear. So our first number defies explanation. Just because I know we have some listeners who aren't watching along. I, I, this is a they keep calling it a feather duster. It. It's a mouth with teeth surrounded by marabou with feather boas dancing behind it. And and this is what it sings. This is why people hate disco. Happy 1976. <laughs> but like, it's not even, it's like badly rendered 1976. Let's yeah. let Christy tell us about it and then we can get into it. <sighs> yeah. So this is a song aptly called Dance. <laughs> by 
Paul Jabara. It's a song from 1976 from a movie that I, ha- I have no interest in ever seeing called Mother Jugs and Speed, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> s- starring Bill Cosby, Harvey Keitel, and Raquel Welch. Yep. Sure. Le- leave it in 1976, never to be spoken of again. But Paul Jabara is, is actually interesting. He, w- he was an actor, singer, and a songwriter. And uh, he, he was a, a Broadway guy, but he was best known for various songwriting contributions to disco and to good disco songs. Uh, he wrote Last Dance and No More Tears Enough is Enough for Donna Summer mm-hmm. and then Barbara Streisand. And he co-wrote It's Raining Men with Paul Schaefer. So we can't hold this against him. It's amazing how bad the song is given its provenance, given that guy's provenance, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. It's so terrible. So the, did you, Glenn, did you listen to the original at all? No, no. Well, let's do that now. Oh. So it's, I'm not going to claim this is a good song, but it's so much better and so much more interesting than what they've done to it on The Muppet Show. And this, it's also much longer. This is, a, you know, again, a, a small clip. So, Adam, is there this kind of strained, forced falsetto in the original song? No. So that's the first choice that I have a lot of questions about. Oh, God, it's terrible. (laughs) This is Jerry Nelson, right? Yes. This is Jerry Nelson. Okay. The falsetto is grating because it's not a pure falsetto. He starts way too high, and then he just hits the ceiling, and all he can do is hit the same high note when he's not supposed to be hitting the same notes. It's terrible. It's dreadful. And, like, it, it's a hate crime. Like, it made me homophobic. Like, it's <laughs> – I hate it. And, and the visual, it's a – Oh, God. It's an awful-looking – Muppet. This fucking gay pride <laughs> langolier, that is just, it is disquieting. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I couldn't look at it directly. And, you know, I guess it's an interesting use of chroma key, which was cutting edge video tech at the time, but now it just carries this whole stench of public access television. It's like, <laughs> oh, hate, 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 hate. I, I do sort of wonder if we were to take the visuals and put it against the original audio of Paul Jabara singing. If we, I mean, it won't make the mouth any less hard. Yeah, David, it has teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, so does the mouth at the beginning of Rocky Horror, and we love that mouth. But that's an actual human mouth. Yeah. <laughs> this is also an actual human mouth. No, no, no. It's no. Not. <laughs> no, it's not. no, it is not. Dead feathers I mean, I, that were plucked out of something else and cobbled together. <laughs> It's the mouth is rendered realistically enough that I thought that this was a clutch cargo situation at first. Oh my god! Ugh, nightmares. It's not okay. And but then, like, yeah, like so, they've taken everything interesting about the original song and stripped it away, and then sung it badly. There is somehow a line about angel dust that made it through uh-huh. into the show for children, but like not the cool bass line. Like I don't understand a single choice that happened here. And it's slowed down appreciably. Like it's yeah. really, it's really like like we don't need to spend more time <laughs> with Jerry Nelson singing. And then when it talks to Kermit backstage, he does this weird Southern Catherine Hepburn thing. This suddenly last summer Catherine Hepburn. Really, I did. And it's like, why? Why is why is that a choice? I, no, no choices that were made here make any sense. Our next number is Twiggy herself. I have a serious question. Uh, who are the most important people in your life? Again, what about the places? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are places I remember all my life Though some have changed, some forever Not for better, some have gone And some remain So an improvement in song, certainly. So this is In My Life by... uh, as we've mentioned, a noted failed skiffle outfit, the Beatles. 
this time, uh, it, it's an actual Lennon-McCartney collaboration instead of a Paul McCartney song masquerading as a Lennon-McCartney song. Although there's some dispute over the authorship of the song, uh, apparently, up until right before he died, John Lennon claims that uh, that he wrote more of the music than Paul McCartney says that he did. It's a whole thing. Apparently, in 2018, Harvard researchers created an algorithm to try to scientifically determine who wrote what. <laughs> And uh, according to an article in The Independent, the algorithm determined with 81.1% certainty that Lennon wrote the verse, but McCartney's influence in the song's bridge was given with 43.5% certainty. Sure. Uh, So this is also... It's the 0.5 that convinces me. Yeah. 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 That that's where the science lives is in the margins. <laughs> yeah, so this is our our both our second Beatles song and our second song from Rubber Soul. Uh, I'm looking through you in the Vincent Price episode is also from that album, and this song is number 23 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. And Mojo Magazine in the year 2000 called it the best song of all time. Which like, yeah, yeah. okay, slow your roll. It's not <laughs> even the best song on side two of Rubber Soul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. It's that's what I say to, to Mojo Magazine. Yeah, and apparently in uh, Germany, the song was replaced by an entirely different number, which it was "Lean on Me." Is is that what they replaced it with? Yeah. So they had a, a German pop star, Mary Roos, come on to be the guest star for just one segment, and well, it, it's on YouTube, so we'll put it in the show notes. There's a whole sketch, which if you do not speak German, will not mean anything to you, but it's, she trades a bunch of jokes with Rolf and then the electric mayhem show up. It's really interesting because it combines both of their sets. So you have Rolf's piano in the foreground and then like uh, the electric mayhem sort of tiered stage with animals drum set at the top and the back. Uh, and she does lean on me in German. But, but it's why? <laughs> like it just, I mean, the Beatles were popular in germany it's just it's weird well but maybe twiggy wasn't wasn't or? sure hmm. but they kept the jug band number in <laughs> i'm saying the it's choice. weird we should probably mention the weird visual setup of this so yeah sure should so there's a, a a weird press conference with the the funniest lead-in line <laughs> that i've come across but what about the places <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, they ask her about the people in the places, and then she proceeds to just look wistfully at a series of black and white photos of herself. So uh-huh. none of those are people or places who influenced her life. It's all her. Well, no, it's it's like her her favorite people and places are herself. Here's me. Here's me. Here's me in a hat. It's, it's like, it's so psychotic. But it was it's a little sociopathy. disconcerting because it felt like she was hosting an in memoriam segment for herself, <laughs> which is strange to watch her watching. Yeah. And like yeah. there are no Muppets. Like after after she gets that lead in line, the Muppets disappear. Like even Florence Henderson got that chroma key butterfly. Can I ask yeah. a question? Like we are only a handful of years away from the Beatles breakup. So getting Beatles rights must have still been pretty cheap. Is that what I'm gathering here? We have to assume so because yeah. they will do more Beatles songs throughout the series. Okay, but what about now? To, for it to be released on streaming, like when WKRP came out on DVD or whatever, they had to kind of go in and because they couldn't get rights to any of the songs, so they had to kind of do all this replacement stuff. But you and Beatles rights right now are prohibitively expensive. Well, yeah, it does have like a huge Beatles miniseries coming out, so there may have uh, been some dealing okay. there. Okay. In the on the DVDs that were released about fifteen years ago, um, stuff is cut, but not this. Or I'm looking through you from last week. So 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 far, the, at least in 2005, the Beatles stuff was available as well. But yeah, I don't know, like in general. And I guess, and these have, these have aired on TV, you know, like throughout the, the 90s, they were on Nickelodeon. So yeah, I think, I mean, I think it depends on the use, right? Like, and what, I, th- I think the Beatles were pretty willing to sell out, <laughs> depending on, and whoever owned the, owned the rights. I think, I think they were pro Muppet, it would be mm. my guess. Mm. I love this song, but I don't understand why any of this is happening. <laughs> also, it drives me crazy in that clip. You could hear it. She, she is just fully off rhythm on that first line for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's fine for the rest of it. So, like, I don't even think it's like a choice. It just it just happened because then she doesn't do it again. It is fun to see Kermit back in his Muppet News Flash trench coat. That's the only thing I took away from this. Yeah, reporter Kermit is always adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And the first question she's asked is, um, what she's so beautiful, but why does she only have one nose? By a, a whatnot with two no- noses. It's a good bit. Yeah, <laughs> body shaming. Great bit. <laughs> Gonzo's introduction of her is also very funny. Now I'd like to introduce the lovely Leafy, that Barky, no, Branchy, uh, Twiggy. Do I get credit for being close? <laughs> I'm going to get three dogs and name them Leafy, Barky, and Branchy. <laughs> Uh, was she called Twiggy just because she's thin? Is that the extent of yep. it? Okay, yep. good. All right. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> First thought, best thought. <laughs> is it just impossible for a Muppet to say the word Twiggy in a normal way? Because <laughs> they often like, Twiggy! It's the easiest word to say, to be fair. Especially word. if you have to say it over and over again. It starts to, you know, yeah. your tongue a little bit. It doesn't feel more like a name. TW is not uh, a combination of consonants that I think... English speakers were meant to use. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, Kermit must have been used to it, right? Because it's only a couple letters off from Piggy, Twiggy. It's very, he's like, he's good. He's, it's in his back pocket. And, yeah. and Piggy isn't in this episode at all. I guess she's not in a lot of season one episodes, but maybe it, they just couldn't share the stage. Piggy. We've had a few episodes with no Piggy lately, including this one, hmm. which is a little unnerving. Can't have two divas on to share the stage. I guess there wasn't room for Piggy and Twiggy. <laughs> so uh, Wayne and Wanda get seasonal this week. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. But if you've no place to go, let, let it snow, snow, let, let it snow. snow let it... <laughs> Funny. Funny. Enjoy Wayne reacting at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, I remembered that Wayne and Wanda were riff on Nelson, Eddie, and Jeanette McDonald with that whole hopperada vibe, but I forgot that the joke, or at least a joke, is that Wayne can sing, but Wanda cannot. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Like, and she's got like a Long Island accent. She's like the Long Island medium (laughs) singing, singing, let it snow, let it snow. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the set is really elaborate. I, I'm amazed at how much money they had to build a very elaborate set. Every week, Wayne and Wanda get a new elaborate set. Yes. For the stupidest, quickest joke. And then they get surprised that it snowed on them. Mm-hmm. Like that, presumably they were expecting it. <laughs> Although at least now Sam has started to accept that these don't go well. Yeah. His intro, uh, this is the second time he expresses his doubts. when uh, So... <laughs> I'm starting to think that maybe he's behind their disappearance after the end of this season. Uh-huh. Well, now we know the theater has a phantom. Do we think he's behind the the accidents that befall them every week? Oh, see, look at that. You're right, he hates Wayne and Wanda. Continuity, yes. <laughs> There's no continuity on this show, so let's just forget that right <laughs> so now. So when he says leave or be doomed, he really just means them and George. <laughs> That's true. This song's super well known. I won't go down a huge rabbit hole, but uh, yeah, it's from 1945. It's a Julie Stein, Sammy Kahn song that was written in Hollywood during a heat wave (laughs) and uh, originally recorded in 1945 by Vaughn Monroe with the Norton sisters. And it hit number one on the Billboard bestsellers chart during uh, January and February, even though we think of it now as a sort of Christmassy song. It is more of a generalized winter song. And it's been recorded a whole bunch of times, including by, yes, Noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra. There it is. <laughs> also, am I the only one who, after this, wanted to see the Wayne and Wanda take on Baby It's Cold Outside? <laughs> no, you are not. I, I, I had the same thought, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> I didn't because, have that thought. Now I'm mad that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I really can't stay. And then just the door gets slammed, and it's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it would be. Well done. <laughs> or they both sing they really can't stay and a trap door opens. They both fall through it. <laughs> so this week's UK spot is uh, classy, but bathingly not that funny. Mm. This is another 
Beethoven solo performance by Ralph in the UK spot. Uh, it's Minuet in G. It was originally part of a suite of orchestral pieces, but only the piano score survives. Get it cool. together, Ludwig. Like, what? <laughs> like, I, Make a I backup. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just think of my mom anytime that I go to throw out, like, you know, old scores from shows or whatever. She's, she's always like, think of the Smithsonian. And I realize that that's maybe not the best <laughs> attitude, but I uh, think yes, of the You really should have put it in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's not much of a joke here. Uh, no. He he just plays it and, you know, fucks it up sometimes. But this is the joke of Ralph, which is, you know, the dude playing the, the piano is actually playing the piano. And I guess it's Henson as Ralph's head uh, reacting when he screws up. Like, and he reacts in a very funny way when he screws up because he can't, like, you know, wipe his brow or do anything like that. He, it's all a, it's all motion in how he's apologetic about when he screws up. I mean... It means there's a good communication between the puppeteers. I, I like that. But yeah, it's not funny. Uh, if anybody has ever been in a community theater production of The Music Man, which I have, oh, then yes. that's the only thing that goes through your head when you hear the minuet in G. Is, that's right. is your mom yelling, that's my Barney? Because I was thinking of <laughs> <was like>, <laughs> well, And they did this bit already with Fairlease. It's the same bit, only that was funnier. and And even if it hadn't been... Like it don't, it don't, it's only really funny once. Yeah, yeah, it's everything I had to play in piano recitals when I was ten. Yeah, besides the the Music Man thing, the uh, only other like even vaguely interesting pop culture tidbit that I, I came across was that it reminded me that it was the inspiration for the Faulty Towers opening theme. Hmm. And if you're really paying attention, it did not inspire anything in the Harvey Corman failed pilot Snavely. It doesn't have an opening theme, just the dull pounding of your pulse as you question your life choices. <laughs> <laughs> and in case you thought that we were going to escape the clutches of the Gogolala Jubilee Jug Band, you were mistaken. Our guest star tonight was born in London, but all you folks in Enid, Oklahoma, better stand by to hear a soul sister. Ladies and gentlemen, the down-home sound of the incomparable Twiggy. You got a girl you love a Sunday, then you got another on Monday. That ain't nobody's business but my own. Sitting by the phone waiting for your call, you're out somewhere having a ball. That ain't nobody's business but my own. Nobody's business. I included the intro in that clip because I found it so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have questions about Soul Sister. Like, yeah, yep, that yeah. was the part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the specificity of Enid, which is real. I looked it up. Sure, My it is. college why? roommate lived there after college because that's where the military sent him. Oh. That's my only frame of reference for it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the hillbillies, you've talked about this, I think, are kind of a hate crime mm -hmm. against... They're... they're, they're <laughs> They're a lot. And the the song Ain't Nobody's Business But My Own, if you take a step back and think about it, it's kind of a libertarian anthem, uh, <laughs> right? It's just like, leave me alone. This is what plays when you phone the Cato Institute and you're put on hold. This is <laughs> this is the song. Yeah. So uh, uh, speaking of, of hate crimes, uh, the this, this song was written by uh, Irving Taylor, who is also the guy who wrote Pahalafika. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking of hate crimes. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's from 1950. And I, I owe him a slight apology because when we'd covered that episode, I'd said the only thing that I'd come across of note in his repertoire that he had done was co-writing every, Everybody's Waiting for the Man with the Bag. Uh, mm -hmm. But apparently he also co-wrote Dean Martin's Everybody Loves Somebody. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I'm, I'm, he died in 1983. He doesn't care. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> credit where credit's due. Right. Begrudgingly so. Yeah. And uh, the original recording of this, it, it, it is a duet. And it was done by um, K-Star and Tennessee Ernie Ford, who were big uh, stars of the Western swing genre. Mm -hmm. And K-Star, of course, uh, also the original artist of Everybody's Waiting for the Man with the Bag. 
And it's one of several songs in the nobody's business genre, including nobody's business, ain't nobody's business and ain't nobody's business. If I do, which are all totally different songs. <laughs> and it's part of the ain't, ain't nobody melodic universe, which includes <laughs> ain't nobody and ain't nobody here, but as chickens, which will also appear later. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just like who thought we have Twiggy British fashion model. <laughs> I know. Let's have her do a jug bed number. Well, yeah. but but she was recording country music at the time. Like that was part of where her career was moving. Mm-hmm. So okay. she may have suggested this. Great. That makes more sense. But I <laughs> still find it deeply odd. Do you really think I, when she showed up on the show and they said, are there any Muppets that you were really looking forward to working with? And she said the hillbilly and the Gogolala Jubilee jug band. I no, mean, but, I, but I do think they probably sat down with her and said, all right, like, what are the things about you, your persona, your career that we want to focus on? And she probably said, uh, we should show pictures of me modeling and I've got a country album coming out. And she looks adorable <laughs> in a cowboy hat. She does hat. look real cute. And given how often the jug band is the UK spot, I actually... Mm. You know, there's there is something that we as Americans are missing that was happening culturally at this time in the UK in the 70s. I have apparently we need to get a panel of of British boomers to just come answer all of our questions about the Muppet Show. (laughs) Did Hee Haw play in the UK? I don't know, but you know, Hee Haw's head writer was the head writer of season one of the Muppet Show. Okay, this checks out. (laughs) Yep. Adam, I wanted to know if you would rank this on a scale from zero to Mississippi mud. Oh, <laughs> I, well, that's backwards because Mississippi mud is zero. I mean, this is much better than Mississippi mud sure, in right. every respect, it, visually, musically. I don't, I don't actually hate this. Like, I'm giving it a hard time, but like, I, the song is fine. It's a good deployment of the jug band. There are no feet. There is no mud. <laughs> Twiggy catchy. is adorable in her overalls. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't actually hate this. It, it's just like. It's just a big why for me, but it's yeah. fine. I mean, given this or the horrible feather boa with teeth, I will absolutely <laughs> take this. <laughs> In a heartbeat. Yeah. Ready! Three, two, one, fire! That sound means it is time once again for Shot Out of a Cannon. In our uh, opening gags... <laughs> Uh, we've got a recycled Gonzo. He uh, hits Beautiful Day Monster with the mallet, which is uh, still pretty fun. I'm happy sure. to watch it again. And Fozzie, I mean, he doesn't tell a good joke, but he does this adorable little sideways glance and points at us. And just uh, the physicality of Fozzie just gets me more and more every week. I- I'm really becoming much more of a Fozzie fan than I ever was in this rewatch. And it's so perfectly timed to the beat of the music. It's just like this absolutely glorious coming together. It feels to me a little bit like Frank knows that this opening bit of Fozzie telling the joke is getting really tiresome. So he's doing <laughs> anything he can do to like ham it up to try to save it. Yep. I learned today that uh, on Disney Plus, if you click the skip credits button, and mm-hmm. you know, obviously, why would you ever skip the credits of The Muppet Show? But today I did, and uh, it skips to the Fozzie joke. It does. Because that's actually part of the show. So good job, Disney Plus. That's actually good intel. Right? (laughs) For our purposes. Helpful if you're making a podcast and watching things three times. Yeah. In fact, um, at the very end of the joke, he cringes. He has a full body cringe. He has (laughs) kind of a self-lacerating thing where he just kind of puts his hand over his eyes as if he hates himself. I, I felt that. (laughs) (laughs) and and there's like a running theme with frank oz in this episode because he also later gets to deliver the line well i didn't write it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah good job frank so something i noticed when i watched this episode which i had not previously noticed in any episodes is that although we don't get the full-on full-screen content warning when the theme song starts playing in the top left-hand corner where it says rated G. There was a content notice saying that this episode contains tobacco depictions. Uh, I Hmm. don't actually remember there being tobacco depictions in this episode, which makes it all the more curious. Did the the jug band? Did somebody have a pipe in there? It might be in the Twiggy Memorial montage. (laughs) Or the, uh, or the reference to Angel Dust. Maybe that's some equivalent. And this is just a slide <laughs> they had. There were definitely depictions of what happens when you take lots of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> certainly true. 
Yeah. And the king in the King's Breakfast uh, sketch, like when he was depicted elsewhere, he always was, he often was depicted with a cigar, but he wasn't yeah. here. But so, maybe historically, just mm. every time that king shows up, some, some alarm rings and, and Disney has to <laughs> give this content warning. I don't know. I bet she's smoking in some of those photos and we just yeah, didn't notice because mm. why would we? Okay, let's talk about the backstage plot. Uh, something spooky is afoot at the Muppet Theater. We've got a, a few gags with a Muppet saying that they've seen a horrible, hideous face and only to reveal that it was Hilda or Gonzo or it was George wearing a mask. It it does make for some cute gags and some fun puppet acting when the Muppets get startled. There's a moment when Fozzie backs into Kermit. They both freak out or Scooter just tries to get Kermit's attention and it freaks Kermit out. And all the while, Kermit is trying to insist that there are no such things as ghosts or goblins or phantoms. Although, admittedly, we run into those things in the Muppet Theater all the time. So... Mm-hmm. Kermit trying to insist that in the, his own in monsters. In the Vince Price yeah. episode, they were all, they were all just nothing but ghosts. All ghosts. It's an all ghost, all monster. <laughs> yeah, well, Kermit doesn't believe in those things, so they were never oh. there. Eventually, this phantom does reveal himself. Kermit, Kermit, what the has a skull-like head, fiery green eyes, and a horn cape? I don't know. I don't know either, but it's right behind you! <laughs> You will notice that I didn't fall for their joke. And if it isn't a joke, I mean, if there is someone or something behind me, there is no doubt a logical explanation for it. So I shall now just turn slowly around and see what is going on here. Uh, pardon me, sir, uh, but is there a logical explanation for your presence here? <laughs> Apparently, there is no logical explanation. <laughs> Mummets freaking out continues to be adorable in the the crowd scene when they're all running out of the frame. Fozzie just throws his hat behind him <laughs> as he runs away. It's just so cute. Mm-hmm. Let's learn what the Phantom wants. Years ago, I was a great actor, a star in this very theater. My Hamlet was acclaimed as the greatest ever. <laughs> yes, sir. And then I played my most difficult role. <laughs> Othello, mm-hmm. what opening night I was killed. Uh, well, I, I'm very sorry to hear that. Who killed you? The critics. I swore I would never perform here again, nor would anyone else. No, I will drive you all from this theater. Leave Poppy It's fucking terrifying. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> It is. You're eight years old. You're watching at 7.30 at night, right? But still, even so. I mean, yeah, it's never resolved. So, you know, the yeah. Muppets apparently it continue isn't. to be doomed. This is probably why it stayed with me. This is very. It aired in February, day. so it was dark at 7.30. It was mm. very dark at 7.30. And, oh, my God, it's just, it, like, the thing about him is, it's not the horns, it's not the eyes. It's the fact that he's got these little feather duster hair that, uh, or, or it's ostrich feather, right, I guess? That it moves independent of him, like it's got a mind of its own, like it's a tentacle or something. It's just freakish. So I realize the continuity is meaningless. No. <laughs> but go on. And this way lies madness. But in both the production order and the airing order, Uncle Deadly performed at this theater last week. <laughs> or the week before. Like literally performed in a sketch and in a song with Vincent Price. This makes me insane. (laughs) And sang sang terribly. Yes. Um, It was certainly not the best Hamlet ever. (laughs) It's more an Othello version of his I just, I just, I, I don't understand why they didn't just do the Vincent Price episode after this episode mm-hmm. if he then because then he's just he's joined the family and he's now part of the gang mm-hmm. that would make total sense to me I don't need an explanation I just need him to air in the right order I didn't also, check the UK order maybe they aired in the right order in the UK and we'll that up now while someone else talks also there was something about the, the timbre of the speech that reminded me of Gus the theater cat I just kept waiting for him to say fire for a fiddle the fiend of the fall <laughs> oh, someday we've oh, no. cast We've got to do him up a cat someday. Oh, oh my God, God, yes. No. Oh, this is the worst and the best. Oh, no, because now you're casting it in your head? 
Yes. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to be patient and wait. Uh, that's okay. I do have something worse than Muppet Cats, which is the inevitable <laughs> discussion. Um, did he perform Othello in blackface? See, this, a uh, thank you. Thank you, David. This is exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. That's probably why he got killed, because he's what, purple? I can't, I'm colorblind. What color is he? Yeah, well, in, in death, Blue-ish. though, he's the, he's this periwinkle color as periwinkle. as a ghost. Okay. <laughs> right, he, I mean, yeah, he's presumably, right, if he actually died, then, right, he's some sort of ghoul. Well, Though, did he literally die if the critics no, he killed didn't, him? Because he was killed by the critics, right? So he's, right. he's hanging around the theater. Right. And... I, I would. I am choosing to believe that it was a non-traditional production in which he was the only Muppet, hmm. and that's what made Othello different from the rest. That is really because now otherwise, to... I'm very, very upset. <laughs> yeah, it's really. I, I I want to live in your world, Adam. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm really good at justifying the phone. Really good at justifying things. Summer in the park. No, <laughs> no. Um, in in the UK, this did air before Vincent Price, so okay. this only made sense in the UK. <laughs> all right. Well, they were living in the UK at the time, so that's probably all they cared about. That's true. Yeah. You know, Muppets have evolved over the years through the original performers and then without them. And and for, for better or for worse, I think Uncle Deadly's evolution is is absolutely for better. Yes. Um, he, on on the Muppets, the, the 2015 series, he was sort of um, Miss Piggy's like personal assistant, sort of her, her personal gay. I mean, he is very, I guess not explicitly, but, but very much gay coded in the present. He sort oh, of yeah. was in the 70s too, but like now it's really, really clear on that series he you know he goes home and makes himself a martini and after dealing with piggy all day and on um muppets now the the new series which i I don't really love he's really like her fashion guy like he's her tim gunn um it's been really fun to watch him turn into like a very different character but you can see where it where it comes from there is yes there is a provenance there is definitely an arc <laughs> he's got an arc uh, and at the end of the muppets he comes out and he says a finale how charming and you're like okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we know this guy. like <laughs> we know this guy it's also interesting that his current performer is matt vogel who is also the performer who now does kermit and Big Bird. So he's sort of moving up in the world just in terms of his Muppet hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But that also means that it's easy to pair him with Piggy, but hard to pair him with Kermit. All mm-hmm. right. But it also gives them, I think in general, the Muppets have sort of played out the Piggy Kermit dynamic as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And they haven't sort of figured out what a third act looks like for that relationship. So this is a nice way to give Piggy a different foil. And I just like that he's, he was such a small character back in the day. And, and I think it's kind of unusual for, for those characters to come forward in this way. Like new characters have been introduced mm-hmm. who have become prominent, but I, 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 I like the rise of uncle deadly. Yeah. <laughs> it pleases me. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. And it. it's, it's, I, I think it's the performance. I think it's the effect. It's a lot is the, is the design. Like he's a dragon, right? Like this is, this is what, what he is. And he is just so memorable if you're an eight-year-old boy and see him every time you close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically. We should probably credit that design uh, to Michael Frith, who joined the Muppets around the time of the Muppet Show and, and was uh, eventually became their art director and is responsible for a lot of the, the sort of second-generation classic Muppets, including the design of all of the Muppet babies. Right. Because there's a simplicity to the, the design of the, of the like, first-generation Muppets. And D- Deadly is complicated. Like, he's not... You can't just look at him. The, you're, the eye... <laughs> if I were Tim Gunn, the eye doesn't know where to settle. Um, because there's a lot. There's a lot going on. But it all, it all coheres. It all works to terrify innocent children. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to take in and think about for 40 years. <laughs> All right, I guess we have to talk about the King's Breakfast. Gonzo is hoping for a bedtime story, and he asks Twiggy if she knows any A.A. Milne poems. Well, Muppy here really likes the poems of A.A. Milne. You wouldn't know one, would you? No one? I've rehearsed one. It's called The King's Breakfast. The king asked the queen, and the queen asked the dairymaid. 
Could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? And so on. It just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> just, yeah. Just going. Um, this, this sketch uh, overstays its welcome pretty quickly. But of note here are the full body puppets in the roles of the mm-hmm. king and queen. And also we have... Uh, the first appearance of a cow puppet on this show, which uh, does bear some resemblance to Sesame Street's Gladys, but it is a different puppet in the role of the Alderney, which I learned some things this week about the Alderney cow um, of the British Channel Island of Alderney. Apparently it was a breed known for its docile nature and its copious milk. And I also learned that the last few purebred Alderneys were killed and eaten by the Germans in 1944. So there's that. Huh. Well, that's dark. (laughs) Yeah. The the king puppet is uh, King Rupert II, and in previous iterations has sometimes been known as King Goshposh or King Louis. Uh, we're going to link to him singing I Remember It Well with Hermione Gingold on the Mike Douglas show because that's a thing that exists and it's amazing. <laughs> he has been around since 1962 in some form or another, and he's this blustering Jim Henson character who often was sporting a cigar, so that might have been the reason for the content warning there. And he also um, appeared with his advisor Featherstone in the specials, Hey Cinderella and the Frog Prince. And the design of Featherstone with his beaker style mouth and this giant triangular nose has now been used for the queen puppet. And all I really want to add to this because the, the poem goes on and then it resolves the king gets his butter. Um, Twiggy is doing her best. And, but we, we fuss for three long minutes about whether the king is going to get his butter or whether he has to make do with marmalade. And here in the year 2021, I think we could have summed all that up in 11 seconds. It's all I can think about anytime anybody mentions butter. <laughs> We'll put a link in the show notes. It'll make more sense with context. um, (laughs) There's a guy on TikTok who has taken various internet dramas and set them to the, put them to the dramatic musical setting that they really deserve. This was a next door post for somebody asking for butter in the middle of the night. I see. He just needs butter. Butter is important. I kept waiting for something to happen <laughs> in the sketch. <laughs> and so in this era of the Muppet Show, the backstage plot and the onstage business doesn't ever really intersect, which will not always be true. But because this is a phantom of the Muppet Show, and because this is underscored by harpsichord music, which is not super different from the Il Muto Ballet in Andrew Weber's Phantom of the Opera, which does not exist yet at this moment in time, mm-hmm. I kept waiting for something to fall <laughs> for um for for George to be found hanging from the fly <laughs> cuz that's how that that's how that ballet ends in the musical yeah. and it's kind yeah. of the same music and i was so bored <laughs> and for the chandelier to fall on the already dead muppets in the no audience. that's later that doesn't happen till later yeah not until at the dance when yeah. we get the chandelier. Yeah, right. When the chandelier falls, that would be perfect. Yeah. This just was the first time where I really missed watching things on DVD. When you had <laughs> chapter indexes, so you could just press skip and get to the next sketch. Yes. Why don't I we mean, have that on streaming? I did watch it on DVD, but we're doing a podcast, so I yeah. watched the whole thing. I um, no, I think you guys are being too harsh. I mean, yes, there's a deliberateness here that is very annoying. But for me, this is all about the design of the queen. I can't stop looking at the simplicity and the complexity at the simultaneous like she just looks so good it's about being it's caricature it's like being reduced to their essence and the king's great too there is something funny about hearing jim henson say oh dearie me it's just i don't know I, i'm a i'm a simple man with simple needs but uh yes it goes on too long far 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 too long and it is all about <laughs> everybody rushing to get the king some fucking butter but yes i i uh i i like the puppetry well, the queen will be back with a much better appearance on the Zero Mustel episode. This is the simple folk, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Awesome. I love her. <laughs> I mean, the, the puppets are fun to watch. And it's fun to try to figure out what's going on in there. Because when the queen stands next to Twiggy, you see that they're the same height. And you see mm-hmm. that the, the Jim Henson king is like 
standing around with this barrel chest and there's some some full body magic going on there. It is cool and interesting. And the second of like six times that Quiggy comes back to the queen, uh, the queen is just picking at a piece of fluff on her on her uh, corset or whatever. <laughs> and like that's because if she's so bored, of course, that's what you'd be doing. It's a nice piece of business. Yeah. yeah. There's a cute bit in the opening too where um, Gonzo burns his nose on the candle. Um, <laughs> though not really because I'm now very aware of when there's candles on the show. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, and, and Muppy licks it. <laughs> It's very sweet, and and um, having a fairly new dog who sometimes looks my nose, it is the best, and it, I thought it was very cute. Also, Muppy looks huge yeah. next to Gonzo. I don't know if Gonzo is smaller than I thought or Muppy is bigger than I thought, but they're in bed together, and it's really cute. When we were at the museum a few weeks ago, we were surprised by how small many of the core Muppets were, so I suspect that Gonzo is smaller than we thought. That's true. Yeah, about as big as your hand, I guess. Well, yeah, that's that's a fair <laughs> point. But yeah. I feel so dumb that I did not put that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad Gonzo is okay. Is Adam? You are not nearly as flammable as the Muppets are. Yes. I, well, the dog is like my nose. I have not burned my nose on a candle. Let's be clear yeah. about which half of that I find cute. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the dance, uh, Statler and Waldorf have escaped from their box again. Hey, hey! You said I could lead this time. Okay, okay, but I thought you promised to wear the pink taffeta. Oh, so I lied. The difference between immoral and illegal? Uh, immoral is uh, doing bad things. Illegal is me with a tummy ache. <laughs> I didn't write it. And so I've recorded three record albums, and they're really great, but they haven't sold! Uh, what are you saying, rock? No lullabies! <laughs> <laughs> I love the loud lady so freaking much. <laughs> in case anybody was wondering, Statler is leading here in spite of everybody's mm-hmm. protestations. I'll also, I can't, as much as I love seeing Statler and Waldorf being gay, I can't handle that off voice. Yeah. Waldorf. What and was I, going on there? I wondered whether because Jim is busy performing Kermit and the <laughs> this this week uh, Kermit is at the dance and he's dancing with a character named Mary Louise, the old Mary Louise. There is a little girl named Mary Louise. This is a different Mary Louise. Jim Henson is performing both of them, so maybe he had yeah. to record Waldorf ahead of time, and maybe because he wasn't with the puppet, he didn't get the voice right. Yeah, and because at the dance is all, is usually the same puppeteer doing both dancers, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think that that's probably why, but it's it's very strange in this case. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel right. And on on top of that, you said you'd wear the taffeta. Feels a little funky. Yeah, mm. I like that. Uh, this isn't <laughs> the first time they've danced together, of course. Uh, I like seeing it, of course. Um, I like also that Sam is there. You'd think he'd have something to say about Statler and Waldorf <laughs> dancing together, but no. Maybe he's an ally underneath it all. That's a nice thought. He's also busy being super awkward around the. Gal that he's dancing with. <laughs> yep. He has a very bad joke to deliver. He's 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 busy. I don't and it's a joke that it. involves mansplaining. Yeah, she asks a question, but still, he's just telling her what words mean. The, immoral is me with a tummy ache. Does that mean anything? Illegal. Illegal. Oh. Jeez. I just thought it was so mean of whoever was running the laugh track machine to not give him laughter after that. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Yeah, he really went out of his way to <laughs> deliver a joke that was beneath his dignity. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So we have a sketch called Vendaface, which is a machine that's also a puppet that in this sketch is also a, quote, psychiatric machine that will tell you what your problem is. And in Fozzie's case... Uh, the machine tells him after asking him for multiple additional coins that his problem is that he's too generous. And then when he gets mad, he's told that he has a rotten temper. Although I would argue that the machine asking him for multiple coins and then strangling him is the one with the problem. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> who am I to tell Vendaface what to do? Uh, yeah, this is a takeoff on the Burns and Schreiber Vend a Buddy sketch, which is funny and worth watching and i would argue more satisfying than this 
Yeah, this was clearly a reused Muppet, right? Because obviously this Muppet exists to rearrange facial features. It's got arms, it's everything flashes on it. There's a nose and an eye and a lips and like, and it's called Ventiface. So the fact, when I saw it, I thought, oh, I know it's coming. Oh, this is going to be fun. And then it's a psychiatric. No, no, this is, this is clearly something they're reusing. And yet this is the first time we see it. Hmm. So it, it, it does actually do the Ventiface thing, but... I don't know why they decided to do this version of it first. And maybe they didn't in air order. I haven't, I didn't check that, but it's weird. Yeah, it is a little confusing. It would really only make sense if they had built this for the purpose of rearranging Muppet faces. And then they just had it on hand and decided to do this. We have watched every episode that aired before this episode. So they, yeah, the the other ones are yet to come in both 1977 time and our time. What we learn from the Muppet Morsels on the Mum and Chance episode, and I get this via Muppet Wiki, is that they originally were only going to use this once, and presumably not for this sketch, but for the one where he actually arranges faces. But David Laser, who is the Muppet business manager, said that they shouldn't build such an expensive puppet to only use him once. So he basically forced them to write other sketches that they could use this puppet for, which is probably why this is not the most inspired sketch. (laughs) <laughs> Makes sense, but it's still weird that then they made this episode. I don't, I don't, who knows the order that they wrote things in and built things in and shot things in, but I know there must be. But I love the notion of a Muppet business manager. I also <laughs> love a Muppet business manager named Mr. Laser. <laughs> I love everything about that. There is something very mum and shanty about the mm-hmm. vendor face concept when it is Absolutely. actually vend- vending faces. The machine puppet itself is terrifying. Yep. Like to me, it's, that's the scariest thing in this episode. Especially coming so soon on the heels of the Muppet News Flash from the Vincent Price episode where inanimate objects come alive and attack mm-hmm. yes. their people. They really were on a, a a hot streak with freaking people out after the Vincent Price episode, I guess. Speaking of the Muppet News Flash, here the Muppet Newsman speaks to a Londoner played by Twiggy who has just eaten an entire diesel tractor. What an extraordinary feat. I mean, how was it done? Oh, a medium rare or thereabouts. And then she proceeds to take a big crunchy bite out of the microphone, which just makes me worry about the engineer's ears. I never realized that Twiggy had Adele's London accent. And I think she holds her own right in this. She does a very serviceable job. Serviceable is a word I keep coming back to. (laughs) Inri Twiggy. I wondered if there was some kind of a hidden message here that Twiggy, who is famous for popularizing an extremely thin waif look, has to do this sketch all about eating. Mm -hmm. What do you think that message would have been (laughs) in that year? (laughs) Well, I don't know. And I hesitate to read too much into anything, especially involving models and women's bodies in the 70s, because that's just that's a minefield that I feel like I am not equipped to navigate. (laughs) Fair. But Twiggy, at this point in her career, was no longer rocking that same, like, absolutely stick-thin body. And it's weird that we get her first big appearance on this episode is just her face with pictures of when she was stick-thin. And then one of the last things she does, uh, although not the very last thing because the hoedown comes after this, is, you know, eating a tractor. There's just... Like, maybe it's a liberatory thing for her. Maybe it's just a subconscious thing on the part of the writers. I don't know. But there's definitely, like, there's something going on here about bodies that I would like someone with a women's studies PhD to explain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair. I I don't know what the message is either. (laughs) But I'm willing to have it explained to me as well. Thank God there's eight other Muppet Show Rewatch podcasts and we can see what they have to say. All right, I think we have come to the end of our bit-by-bit dissection of that which is the Phantom of the Muppet Show episode. Anyone have some final thoughts? I'm going to award my favorite Muppet of the week, even though it's it's always the loud lady in my heart. But there is a moment where Kermit asks everybody to keep their heads on their shoulders, and then the blue frackle walks by without a head and plops the head onto its shoulders and just wobbles away like this bobblehead style, which is really fun. And that's my favorite Muppet of the Week, in addition to the Loud Lady. Well, every week this show looks better to me. Every week your eyesight gets worse.
Before we let you go, Glenn, we want to hear a little bit more about your new book. What can you tell us? Oh, sure. Uh, the NPR Podcast Startup Guide. It's basically me interviewing a lot of NPR podcasters and not just hosts. Uh, not got nothing against hosts. I am a host. I love hosts. But uh, I really wanted to find people along the entire line of the kind of podcast timeline. Uh, so I talked to a lot of sound engineers. I talked to a lot of producers who kind of make the logistics run. I talk to a lot of editors who kind of shape the story. And just to kind of talk about uh, some of the basic questions that we at NPR ask ourselves before we launch a podcast, which are really all about who's your audience, right? It's really, you, you try to figure out who is out there. Are there going to be people listening to this thing? And uh, it's just, it's really best practices. It's not about how to sound like NPR. It's about how to sound like you but geared to the podcast medium. And my marching orders were not to make it a textbook, not to make it a resource guide, not to make it anything dry, but to make it seem like it's an uh, ongoing conversation with the reader. And if it could be funny or, you know, in my case, funny adjacent, uh, so much the better. So uh, that's the book. And uh, I'm really proud of it. And I'm looking forward to the launch. And I'm looking forward to the launch being over <laughs> also because it's very nerve wracking. But again, thank you guys for letting me come on here. And thanks for letting me talk about this book. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait for the book. It is not out while we're talking, but when you are listening to this, people at home, uh, yeah. the book is out. So if you want to hit pause right now, go order it and then come back to hear the end credits. We would not fault you for that. That would be a totally valid thing to do. We'll have a link right in our show notes so that you don't have to go hunting for it. Oh, bless you, David. And I, I hope we can drag you back for Christopher Reeve, which is far in the future, but Definitely no. You can drag me back for any damn person. Yeah. yeah. Or at a swit. Anybody. I don't care. I'm, I'm not proud. Glenn, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being here. And uh, now we're going to thank the listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us next week for our discussion of the Ethel Merman episode, where we'll be joined by Larry Owens. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Ryan Backus. This episode was edited by me, David Levin. Is there a Twiggy fan community? Like, are there are there Twiggy fans? And what I really want to know is, that, is there a Twikipedia? <sighs> God. Holy crap. <laughs>